0: nice, wow. Can you Ooh,
1: imagine sentiment. bringing that up on your back? That's <laughs> heavy, heavy. It's pretty pretty heavy, yeah. yeah. Alright, last question. Every year during the Lantern Festival, which just passed, devotees at a temple in Yelio along the northern coast do something very different with their temple statues. What do they do with them? <laughs> Leslie. You dress them up? They don't dress them up.
2: They make them into lanterns?
1: Nope. I'll give you a hint. <laughs> so this is Yelio, which is right next to the ocean uh what do they do with the statues
3: give them a bath in the ocean
1: they do (laughs) yes (laughs) well the point is they actually jump into the ocean with the palanquins with the statues on them so they go for a running jump land in the ocean and this is basically a uh it's sort of like cleaning up the Mm. harbor is what they're saying it's their way of blessing or kind of i guess making the harbor fresh
4: What's this all about? Why are they doing that? What's going on here? It's Curious John. What is he curious about today? In the space of just one newly renovated wing, the National Taiwan Museum is attempting to do something difficult. Present the history and cultures of Taiwan through a relatively small number of objects. Taiwan isn't exactly big geographically or in terms of population, but there is a lot to cover. Dozens of cultural groups plus centuries of recorded history. It doesn't help that the museum's collection is enormous, Still, the museum has somehow pulled it off, sketching a complete picture of how Taiwan as we know it came to be in its newest permanent exhibit. Today, museum curator Li Zhening is here to give us an overview of the many precious objects the museum has pulled out of its archives to paint a picture of the story of Taiwan. One of the immediately noticeable things about this exhibit is the large number of objects made by Taiwan's indigenous people that are on display. These peoples make up less than 10% of Taiwan's population, yet their cultures are such an important part of Taiwan's cultural mix that Mr. Lee says half of the 380-so objects on display here come from their villages. And the 16 officially recognized indigenous groups found in today's Taiwan are just the tip of the iceberg. There are a lot more groups out there that still don't have government recognition, and they're represented too. The genius of Taiwan's indigenous artists is really something. There is elaborate carving on display, especially from the Paiwan and Rukai, two of the main southern groups, who decorate their houses with carved wooden planks covered in totems that are rich in symbolism. There is pottery too, for instance a ceremonial pot of the Amis, Taiwan's most populous native group. There are examples of richly decorated Paiwan clothing, everyday tools like a divination box intricately carved by an artisan of the Katagalan people on the north coast. There's even bronze working represented by a ritual statue taken from the Taokat people of the northwest. Most of these items are around 100 years old dating from the museum's early days at the start of the 20th century. But they represent much, much older traditions the first cultures that can be called Taiwanese.
5: This <laughs> is
4: From the beginning of the exhibit, though, we also see that Taiwan has a long history of contact with the outside world. The contact became especially pronounced when outsiders started taking control of the island in the 17th century, the Dutch in the south, and for a short time, the Spanish in the north. Though traders from neighboring Asian nations got here first, the first example of foreign contact shown here is a copy of a 1660 painting. It shows the Dutch East India Company's main settlement here, today the southern city of Tainan. This is a landscape painting that shows the contours of the Dutch fortress at its height. It was under Dutch rule that large numbers of ethnic Chinese started to cross the Taiwan Strait, sometimes working for the Dutch and sometimes rebelling against their rule. The painting also shows the Chinese settlement built just beyond the walls of the Dutch fort. The fort's still there today, but over time the lagoon we see in the painting filled with ships has silted up and the fort today is some ways inland. Dutch will collapse just two years after the original of this painting was made. To see why, we head to the next section. Here is an imposing portrait. The stern-looking man pictured is Koksinga, the half-Chinese, half-Japanese pirate king who besieged the Dutch fort and forced the Dutch out of the island in 1662. His descendants would establish a short-lived kingdom of their own in the southwest of Taiwan. Koxinga died not long after driving the Dutch out and setting himself up as king. But this portrait, held onto by his descendants, is a symbol of an important man in Taiwan's history.
5: Some historical
4: in the Mr. Li says that in this early period of large-scale contact with the outside world, there was a lot more writing about Taiwan than there were pictures showing what it looked like. We're lucky, though, to have at least a few items, like these paintings, to give us an idea of what Taiwan looked like under Dutch rule and later under Kokxinga's family. Kokxinga's family were ardent opponents of the last Chinese dynasty, the Qing, who they fought against in China itself and later held out against in Taiwan. Finally, in 1683, the Qing dynasty had had enough. It sent a military expedition to Taiwan to dislodge Koxinga’s family, putting an end to their little kingdom. After the expedition's success, there was some debate at the Qing Dynasty court about what to do in the parts of Taiwan they just captured. In the end, the Qing decided to keep the lands Coxinga had ruled, and incorporate them into their empire. At first, Qing Dynasty rule only extended over Taiwan's western edge, but it slowly expanded, and by the time Qing rule ended in 1895, most of the island was at least nominally under its control. As we've seen, by the time the Qing took control of Taiwan, the island had already seen its fair share of drama. So it's perhaps unsurprising that as early as 1695, we get a Chinese-style history of Taiwan. This is Gao Gongqian's Taiwan Chronicle. Mr. Li says it describes many of the players we've already met, and their exploits up to that time. On display in the exhibit are the partially burnt woodblocks that were used to print the original book. They were among the few objects to survive a massive warehouse fire centuries later. We're lucky to have them. The drama didn't stop here, though. The Qing Dynasty era was riddled with uprisings and revolts across Taiwan. Meanwhile, more and more ethnic Chinese migrants settled down on Taiwan, and the frontier between the empire and indigenous peoples got pushed further and further inland. While Taiwan could be a rowdy place at times, it's also clear that during this period, its beauty and cultural richness were impressing visitors. A lot of the surviving objects from this time show no signs of strife and are actually just beautiful works of art. Qing dynasty bigwigs who were sent on official business to Taiwan seem to have enjoyed commissioning paintings to recall their journeys to the island. We've got two fine examples here. One is a great Chinese scroll painting that shows the progress of the emperor's inspector-in-charge of Taiwan, Lin Tianmu, making his way across the island in 1734. The painting shows a massive parade, with Lin Tianmu getting carried on a palanquin in the middle. The entourage snakes across the Taiwanese countryside on foot, horseback, and cart. There are banner wavers, gong bangers, and holders of signs announcing the great inspector's approach. A Chinese man is shown kneeling before the inspector. And at the left side of the painting, we can see an indigenous village where the procession seems headed. The exotic nature of the local flora and indigenous customs are highlighted. You can see people in local dress pounding rice, weaving, and either bathing or fishing in a pond. Later in 1820, painter Xu Shud made a series of similar genre paintings. They show the customs of Taiwan's native peoples and its plant and animal life. We can see a traditional dance underway, men playing nasal flutes, villagers erecting a new hut, and other customs that Chinese observers found strange and fascinating. Even the best-known map of Taiwan from this period, the Kangxi Taiwan map, is as much a work of art as a work of cartography. It's a map of Taiwan's west coast, with written notes and symbols showing geographical features and roads. But every last blank space is filled in with scenes of daily life and local wildlife. The map is so gigantic that visitors have to use a sliding magnifying glass in this exhibit in order to see details clearly. From these paintings and this map, we get a pretty good picture of Chinese views of Taiwan during this time. But what about the indigenous people that we started off with? How were they faring as all this went on? In many ways, life stayed much the same, even in places where large numbers of Chinese migrants had moved in. We can see that here from an old handwritten document. The Dutch, back in the day, had taught some of their indigenous subjects the Latin alphabet, and used it to publish Christian texts in local languages. A cache of documents, called the Sing Can Documents, show that indigenous people kept on using the alphabet to write their languages for hundreds of years after the Dutch left. The Dutch were here in the 1600s, and the particular document here dates from 1805. The text is essentially a grocery list, complete with amounts and prices. It seems to have been a shopping list for a banquet. At the same time though, native peoples in places with a large Chinese presence often found that adopting Chinese ways could be to their advantage. Also included in the exhibit is a rare portrait of Pan Dunzai, an indigenous chief from Western Taiwan who poses in Chinese clothing. Mr. Li says he was richly rewarded and honored for helping the Qing dynasty put down local unrest with his men. Life in some areas was clearly changing, but the biggest changes of all were yet to come. Join us next week for another talk with Mr. Lee about Taiwan's past and the ways this exhibit displays it to the public. I'm Curious John, and I'll see you again next week.
1: Welcome to Tales from an Outlying Island, a series of short stories from the Taiwanese island of Kinmen, or Jinmen in Chinese. I'm Andrew Ryan. Today we're featuring the story, Where is My Candy? by Liz Nayans and Thomas Kuzmarski. Kinmen is home to many wind lion gods, which are traditional deities that originated in the 1600s. During that time, General Zheng Gong or Koxinga, was on Kinmen, rebuilding his army. And in order to do so, he had to cut down many trees. Now, the gradual deforestation of the island led to an increase in wind. The people of Kinmen started worshipping the wind lion gods as a way of dealing with the strong winds. People traditionally place candy in the mouths of wind lion god statues as an offering.
2: The wind
6: lion god loves candy. Mm. Candy is so sweet. Mm. He loves chocolate candy, he loves strawberry candy, he loves peanut candy, he loves all kinds of candy. But today, the wind lion god is sad. What's wrong? Why is the wind lion god sad? He's sad because he can't find his candy. I'm going to go look for it. First... The wind lion god looks on the beach.
5: Is my candy on the beach?
6: Mrs. Bird sees the wind lion god looking on the beach and answers him. No, your candy isn't here. So, the wind lion god goes to Mount Taiwu, the highest mountain on Kinmen.
5: Is my candy on the mountain?
6: No, your candy isn't there. Next, he goes to the light show at Zhuguang Tower. Maybe it's there.
5: Is my candy... at the tower?
6: No, your candy isn't there either. (sighs) The Wind Lion God thinks for a while, and then heads to the scenic Gugong Lake.
5: Is my candy... by the lake?
6: No, your candy isn't by the lake. Then, the Wind Lion God travels out to search for his candy on Lion Island. Is my candy... On the island?
3: No, your candy isn't there.
6: Maybe it's at the school, he thinks to himself. Is my candy at the school? No, your candy isn't here. Ah. The Wind Lion God gets an idea. Kinmen is known for Kinmen Gaolion, a liquor made from a local grain called sorghum. So maybe the Wind Lion God's candy is there at the factory. Oh! my
5: candy at the factory?
3: No, your candy isn't at the
6: factory. Then, the windline God gets an even better idea. Aha! Uh-huh. Maybe his candy is in one of Kinmen's many underground military tunnels. He visits the well-known tunnel in Chonglin.
5: Is my candy in the tunnel?
6: No, your
3: candy isn't here.
6: The Wind Lion God is very sad that he
5: can't find his candy. Uh, I give up. I can't find my candy anywhere. I'm going home. But then,
6: all of a sudden, the Wind Lion God sees his friends.
3: We brought you
0: some candy. Here you go. Oh, thank you.
5: You're such good friends. I love candy so much
6: and the wind lion god was happy again.
5: What a
0: great day!
6: Today, wind lion gods can be seen all over Kinmen. They come in all different shapes and sizes, and many have red capes. The people of Kinmen love their wind lion gods, which will be an important part of local culture for years to come.
1: Where Is My Candy? is part of the Fulbright Children's Book Series. It was written by Liz Nayans and Thomas Kuzmarski, two Fulbright scholars who were part of the English Teaching Assistantship Program on Kinmen during the 2012-2013 academic year. The series, Tales from an Outlying Island, was produced by Radio Taiwan International. You'll find links to the books at english.rti.org.tw. Self together already! It's time to feast. Sit down at the table with Andrew Ryan and Ellen Chu on Feast Meets West.
0: Welcome.
3: Hello, welcome to The Feast, and this is Ellen Chu.
1: And this is Andrew Ryan, and with us again is Reese Ayers. Hi, Reese. Yeah, I'm I'm here. I'm here again.
3: You're here again.
1: Always love having you with us. Thank you. And you've brought with you today uh,
7: an amazing story related to food. I have. Mm. It's all about Chicken Ooh, and Chicken this story When I found it I just thought it was It's a, it's a, ha- it's a story with a happy ending mm. um, But a sad beginning Okay And it, well, here it is So last year There was a young boy Who mm-hmm. was uh, in an accident On his scooter mm. In Taiwan And ended up in a coma For just over two months Wow And so the family Were obviously devastated And, and there was not So much hope uh, That he'd pull through But apparently His brother, who was by his bedside, you know, they were still talking to him throughout his coma, um, said to him, uh, you know, you better be careful because I'm going to eat your chicken fillet. You know, your jipai. Your jipai. Apparently, it was his favorite food. Okay. And upon hearing this in his comatose state, the boy comes out of his coma. What? And makes a full recovery afterwards. Oh, my. He was awoken by <laughs> jipai, which is chicken fillet steak, or like a fried chicken steak. The prospect of losing out
1: uh, on a chicken steak. It's wow. like they
3: must have, you know, been fighting over jipai all the time.
1: Yeah. Right? So Uh-oh. that
3: triggered him to really want to pull him out of the coma.
1: Or maybe he just was like, wow, I haven't had jipai in a while. I would love to have
7: some yeah. deep fried chicken, mm-hmm. like
3: that I smells am. really good. It is
7: good. Is there anything that you think could bring you away from the brink of death? If you were... Ooh. But what would wake you up and bring you to life?
3: Me. Steamed chodofu. Oh Steamed tofu. Yep.
1: Except I think for a different reason. Not because you wanted to eat it, but because no. it was like scaring you. I would
3: just say, get that thing away from me. I do remember <laughs> you
7: saying the steamed one was particularly potent for you.
1: <laughs>
3: yes.
7: Yeah. Yes. We'll keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. Andrew, what about you? Um... I, uh,
1: I am, I'm a big fan of, uh, toast. I know that sounds crazy, but I'm... (laughs) If you look at my Twitter handle It says that I'm very particular about toast um, I think a nice
7: sourdough Okay with a, Some good French butter Nice Ooh. Toasted to perfection Yeah Maybe mm-hmm. I'll like I'll like Tear the toast in half And like by your ear Yes The sound of that I'm a
1: very the auditory crispness. person Okay It's like yeah. when
3: you toast your You know toast what, <laughs> what degree and dial That you put on Three Four
1: uh, Five like minutes I like to be lightly browned mm-hmm. uh-huh. uh, We want a little bit of um, Evidence of the uh, what is that effect called? The mired effect, uh, where the, the browning on the bread. Okay. okay.
7: What, what about you, Reese? For me, it would be something very specific. I'm not sure you'll have heard of it. It's called they're called pickled onion monster munch. Uh, they're, no,
3: Pickled <laughs> onion monster munch.
7: They're it's a British like brand of crisps. They're made mm. of corn instead of potato. Okay. And they're like they're shaped like monster claws, mm. but they have wow. a very very potent pickled onion flavor to them. Mm. And as soon as you open the packet, it kind of Like explodes into your face this like sour onion flavor. So would we? uh, We would then actually have to open the packet right into your face. Just open it under my nose. You know when people like they put like like Vicks or like mint rub under their Mm -hmm. nose. Yes, just do that with the onion flavor. And I'll just pour it over your head. Do that. Oh, it's so good. Mm. I'll I'll, I'll see if I can find a pack and bring you some because they're Mm. good. Okay. Uh, it, it is called the Maillard reaction, by the way. Okay.
1: M-A-I-L-L-A-R-D. That's the okay. effect of browning on any food item, really. Okay. Well, thank yes. you for the reaction. I need that reaction. Okay, mm-hmm.
3: you need that reaction. Uh, slightly toasted, slightly yes. brown, not yes. overcooked. And then, does it have to have still keep a little bit moist in toast?
1: Uh, yeah, I like a little bit of moisture Yeah,
3: okay. it has to be a
7: perfect ratio So All right. uh, no pressure, but uh, golden ratio All right,
3: Golden okay. ratio, okay
7: Well, today we're actually not talking about jipai So jipai is, is mm-hmm. like chicken fried chicken steak It's like right. a big slab of chicken mm-hmm. that's deep fried And it's really crispy And it's very, very Taiwanese uh, We're actually talking about something else We're talking about Taiwanese salty, crispy chicken today Ooh. Which are more kind of like boneless nuggets And they're made in a very particular way and it's so good. I know. Ooh. You know, the
3: the golden proportion of salt and pepper they put on it.
7: Mm-hmm. Oh. Oh. And there's a secret ingredient as well that oh. is included with most yansujis.
3: Really? I didn't know they had a secret ingredient. Mm. I thought it was just like fried and, then you know, just shake your salt and pepper.
1: So you know, there, I think that Korean chicken has become very uh, famous in, yes. in recent years. The the deep fried chicken um, with the sauces and the spices and the sh- the, the kind of the sweet and sour. Mm. Uh, Japanese food also. There's some great fried chicken in Is Japanese food <laughs> with
3: all these different kind. You know, from Korea, Japan, and Taiwan. Not because I'm from Taiwan, I still like the Taiwanese salty crispy chicken. I, I do, do too. I do
1: too. And I think that Taiwanese uh, salty crispy chicken should be elevated to the same level as those other chickens. And mm-hmm. today. In today's feast, we're going to make a case for that with our entire show. All You're right. You're welcome. Are you guys ready?
3: Yes, we are.
1: Let's have a look at our menu. hmm
3: In our first course, we will be clucking on about a street food favorite called yansuji, sometimes referred as Taiwanese salty crispy chicken.
1: That's right. In our second course, we're going to be climbing a nine-story pagoda to discover the key ingredients in this chicken.
3: Mmm. Wow. And third course will be pecking away at some of the succulent crispy chicken but first a chicken song
1: that's right and this is very appropriately named uh Pai."
3: Oh, this is like the best combination My kids mm-hmm. love, okay If I offer this, they'll be like Mommy, yay so A fried chicken
7: stick in one hand and a, and a bubble tea in the other hand
1: And yes. that
3: calorie count, just oh calorie goodness. count Explode 1000
1: Absolutely, so we'll have a listen to that And we're going to come back with a, a description Of oh. crispy, salty Taiwanese chicken mm. we Just return.
3: listening to the name mm. Mm.
2: I Jesus First course.
3: Okay, so what is yen su ji? The Taiwanese salty, crispy, fried chicken.
1: Yeah, literally, that's exactly what it means. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, yin is salty. salty. Su
3: is crispy.
1: Ji, chicken.
3: Chicken, fried chicken, okay? <laughs>
1: Sometimes they put the letter G on the signs to like. I know. Oh, I've so not seen like, that G before. Chicken, yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah. Chi. I've but, also seen KFG, which I thought was hilarious. But, KFG. You know,
3: <laughs> but, you know, a lot of people cannot pronounce the letter G. And it ends up they being go G. G. Yeah.
1: KFG. KFG. Super G. cute. Yeah. So what exactly is Yensuji, and how did it come
7: about?
3: So I didn't know there was an original story well, behind I th- it.
7: I think there were a few stories floating around. Okay. But there is there is one that seems to be more popular. Okay. And apparently in Tainan City in the late 70s, Mm-hmm. There was a married couple who Used to work uh, at a chicken farm And they had a food stand at one of the Night markets in the city mm-hmm. And uh, KFC was Already quite popular in Taiwan at that time mm. So there were already people eating a lot of Fried chicken, right? Yeah, American style Fried chicken. Exactly, because yeah. I'm not sure if fried chicken As it is today was really existing In Taiwan at that point point. Mm. Mm. Um, and so the, the, the Mrs. Ye, her name was uh, who, who ran this food stall She was like, well, eating kfc is not elegant enough you know you get greasy you've got <laughs> to use bones. your hands there are bones it's very oily you can't right. walk and eat through exactly. a night market yeah yeah so she was like how can we enjoy fried chicken but in a more delicate way so she basically developed these kind of chicken nuggets essentially They are mostly boneless uh, and they're kind of bite-sized and uh yeah she kind of put her own seasoning on it a lot of salt and pepper Uh, And that was kind of where Yan Suji was born, salted crispy chicken. I love how you say mostly boneless. So uh, you will (laughs) still find occasionally bones in there, right? I said that because I've experienced a few (laughs) Yan chunks that did have a bit of gristle
1: inside. Bone moments. But the (laughs) thing is
3: that they coated coated the chicken with sweet potatoes, flour. Oh,
1: yeah. yeah. So that's that's kind of like the batter, right? So I guess uh, if you do... Uh, like kind of Southern fried chicken In the yeah. States It's going to be Buttermilk And it's going to be Flour mm-hmm. Maybe some egg In the in the mix But mm-hmm. with this They don't use Like wheat flour They use um, They use sweet potato, sweet potato flour
7: Very Taiwanese And mm-hmm. a little bit Chewier maybe Is yes, that possible? it is Yeah it does mm-hmm. it, it does give the batter A more chewy texture Which I like actually Because it's mm. crispy And chewy just, just under the skin There's a bit oh. of Chewiness to it But
3: did you know That the uh, Yansuji The Taiwanese Salty crispy Fried chicken stall They usually... Uh, offer like a variety of like, you know, the similar way of cooking, you know, things. They uh, have the soft bones. Have you tried the soft bones?
1: Oh, like grist, like, like, uh, what do you call that? Cartilage, uh, gris- the cartilage. The cartilage. Cartilage yeah. is right. a nice Those way. Good. Yeah. Gristle, not a nice Gristle. way to say it. <laughs> I know. But they do all kinds of veggies. They do <laughs> like, you know, long beans.
7: They do tofu products. I love the baby corns. Yes. So good. So good.
1: Uh,
3: yeah. Broccoli's are good too. Yeah, the yeah. white pepper. cauliflowers. Mm, mm-hmm. no, Super
7: healthy
1: Uh, I wouldn't eat it every day Yes That's a very important uh, Little uh, What do we call it A public service announcement Yeah, Yeah. It's not
3: super healthy But you always have to Pair it with Somewhat healthy You know Like fried veggies (laughs) Yeah
7: (laughs) And it's all very salty So I You know
3: And you know My kids always look at me And like Mommy, So this is really good veggie. Is this healthy? And I'll be like, Mm, Yeah. yeah, Broccoli's uh, good
7: unless you deep fry it and (laughs) shove salt on it. I know.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's a fine line, right? Uh, And a Mm. lot of them, I think they double fry them. So they'll do it first in a very like hot oil to kind of seal the outside, especially if you're doing meat. They Mm -hmm. seal the outside and then they cook it in a warmer oil. So like not as hot to actually cook it through. So it's like double... Cooking it to make it crispy, but also
7: like to make it cooked. I think also One big difference for me Between like These chicken They're essentially Kind of nuggets And mm-hmm. chicken nuggets That you might get In the west mm-hmm. they're, The western ones Can be quite dry
3: It's dried but, inside Yeah mm-hmm.
7: Yansuji They managed to maintain That kind of juiciness To
1: the chicken Maybe it's mm-hmm. because They
3: seal it first yeah. Right mm-hmm. So all the juice
1: mm-hmm. It's good
3: Is sealed inside
1: All this talk Is getting me Super hungry mm-hmm.
7: um, Any other things That we need to add About this Well We mentioned earlier That there was kind of A secret ingredient to Yensuji. Okay. Uh, We're going to talk a bit more about that in our second course.
3: So we haven't revealed the secret ingredient yet. I thought it was like sweet potato flour.
7: No, we haven't. There's something else. Well, we'll save the secret ingredient for
1: our second course. Okay. But um, they often will marinate the chicken in things like soy sauce, sugar, garlic, rice wine, five spice powder and chili powder for at least an hour before they actually even deep fry it. So you're already getting tons of flavor in there.
3: Right. I think the five spice, you know, Flavoring is something that's very crucial to make it, you know, very. Taiwanese.
1: Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Right? That's unmistakable. That taste. Mm-hmm. Definitely, you would not think this was a Korean fried chicken or, or Japanese. Japanese. Yeah, right. for sure.
7: It's it's very unique. And there's a lot more to making this than I originally thought. You know, it just appears to be fried chicken, but you have to actually, massage it. It, it. Massage the chicken <laughs> it's, it's,
3: beforehand. <laughs> it's it's a complicated
7: dish, relatively. Okay. You know, compared yeah. to other forms of fried chicken. Okay. Yes, many steps to the process,
1: uh, and especially we have that special. Thing that we're going to add in yes. in our second course. Oh, the suspense Special is killing thing. me. Oh mm. I think Ellen Chu, You look like confused, but you as soon as we say you'll be like, of course, yeah. Duh. Is it green? It is okay. It is green
3: All right <laughs> All right Okay, let's
1: it. go into another song okay. What is this one called?
3: So this is called Taiwan Yin Yansuji Well, there is a store, you know, that is like very it, like well-known around Taiwan And they named it Taiwan Su Yansuji
1: The, first, the uh, first crispy, salty chicken shop yeah. In
3: Taiwan, yes. right? Yes
1: but uh, it, it, the jury's still out on whether it is just the name of it. Well, I think yeah. it's just you know, the name. They
3: kind of like, you know, Got uh, there officialized, there that's okay? A big claim. So they have name. Yes. Well, this is by Shuan Bing, and I guess it's in Taiwanese.
1: Yes. Okay. And when we come back in just a moment, that's Secret
3: Ingredients.
2: Yep. Mm. Yeah. 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 Shall
7: You're listening to Feast Meets West. Second
3: course.
7: Secret ingredient coming up. I mean... It's green. If you... If you're familiar with Yan with with this kind of fried chicken, then it's probably not a secret. But if you've never tried it before, then maybe it's something you're not familiar with. I think it's a it's a it's a crucial player.
1: It, it is. plays more than just a supporting actor role. I think this is uh,
7: vying for the main flavor of the.
1: I think the so chicken. too.
7: Yeah. Let's let's just reveal it's basil what we're talking about Ooh, or basil, basil or basil as we basil. say in america yeah. <laughs> okay basil or basil potato potato i think you should say basil just the way you would normally say it don't basil. change it for me i would okay. oh, yeah. basil i like basil yeah um but yeah it's basil and it's like you said it's not just sprinkled on top there are like enormous sprigs of basil kind of mm. chucked in with the chicken mm-hmm. uh, sometimes they actually deep fry the basil yeah. too is they that deep correct
1: fry it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah i okay. think they do but very quickly because you don't want to change the color um one of the about basil is so when you, you cook it, it turns black very quickly. Do you
3: eat the basil?
1: Oh
7: yeah, uh-huh. I do. You do? I do. Of yeah. Really? It's
1: delicious. I never don't? eat the
3: basil. Oh, really? Get
7: down yeah. on that basil, Joe. Wow. Okay. Mm. I mean, I think the basil—the basil that we're using here in the Taiwan. The basil and basil. <laughs> I'm going to keep getting that wrong. <laughs> okay. Um, We're—I think it's a—it's a different species of basil that we use in the West, right? Mm. The it's
3: basil. It's more that, like the Thai restaurant—the ones they use in yeah. Thai restaurant It's the yes, same, right?
7: I think
1: so. The Thai and kind of the one that we use here in Taiwan are similar, and then there's right. the Italian one. Which I yes. think is
7: very different.
1: It's, it's very more different.
3: Mild. It
7: is a lot more mild. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I like is the is the Chinese name for basil, which is Ta. Okay, which translates. Roughly to kind of Nine story pagoda Nine mm, level pagoda yeah. I love that
1: Why is
3: it Is there a nine layer Have you ever counted
7: I always thought It was just like The way the Like the leaves go On the plant Or the flower maybe The flowers is like Stacked well, up I mean the, the The leaves on the plant Kind of do stack up In, in cascade in levels yeah. But yeah. Mm-hmm. you're right Also when When the plant does flower The flower kind of Looks a bit like a pagoda Oh uh, But there is another story As well which I thought Was quite Ooh. interesting uh, Apparently uh in ancient china there was an emperor who uh was forced to flee uh whilst doing a tour of mm-hmm. the country he was uh, attacked by like a lo- local rebel mm-hmm. uh and he was forced to flee into a pagoda which had nine stories and he was stuck in the pagoda for a while and he climbed to the top of the pagoda where he found some wild basil growing inside the pagoda mm-hmm. and then he kind of S- sustained himself on that for a while. So wow, that's one story of where it gets that name. And okay.
1: well, actually, also Joe in Chinese could mean nine, but it mm. also could mean just a lot. So yep. it was maybe a, a pagoda with many stories, mm-hmm. or, mm. or or like flowers with many layers of flowers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. not necessarily exactly nine. But it's a cute I didn't
3: know name. basil has flower.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah, really? they're, Yeah, they're very yeah. striking. Oh. You can actually use the flowers in cooking, but I don't think they're as, as nice to eat as the, okay. the leaves what are. What color
3: is the flower?
1: I think they're like White? a, like a whitish-purplish color, yeah. maybe? Okay. Yeah. 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 They're very pretty. They're very long and thin, uh, yeah. and they really do look like a pagoda. Okay. And if you want your basil to grow, you actually snip those flowers off mm-hmm. so that it actually puts more of the uh, nutrients. nutrients into the leaves, mm-hmm. which you want to eat. You so, know? what
3: kind of basil do you have at, at your house?
1: I think it's I think it's the Thai basil okay. Yeah It's more of kind of like The local basil That grows really well here mm-hmm. The um, Italian one looks It looks softer Yeah It looks yeah. Uh, kind of More glossy leaves Yes mm-hmm. um, And more kind of like Billowy leaves Yeah mm. Whereas the uh, The Thai basil is
7: long And kind of uh, Spear
1: shaped yeah. And mm-hmm. kind of pointy
7: Yeah, yeah. Uh, The English name for basil Is also kind of interesting It comes from uh, Latin and then Greek essentially uh, And it means Royal or kingly plant Oh uh, uh, and they called it that because it used to be used in the production of perfumes. The, 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 the royal family perfumes. Would use. Yeah. I mean, it does have a lovely scent, doesn't it? Oh, Can you I imagine? Wonder, take Prince Charles,
3: Queen yeah. Elizabeth, wearing <laughs> yeah. basil. I don't perfume.
7: know. When right. I met the queen, she did smell like uh, <laughs> spaghetti bolognese. <laughs> really? You had a, you had a <laughs> okay. good sniff of her neck, did you? I'm
1: yeah. sure that went over really well. Yeah. So I wonder, like, when you say, you've got here basilius for Latin and basilicon for Greek, I'm thinking of, like, a basilicon Mm,
7: Yeah. Like Mm. a cathedral,
1: right? I'm sure they're linked. Yeah. Uh, Maybe they grow them inside the cathedral. Mm.
7: Etymology. Etymology. We love it. Mm. But we, yeah, we've got some fried chicken here today, which we'll Mm. be trying in the third course. And it does have some big, healthy sprigs of of basil. So, Mm. Ellen, you said you don't usually eat the basil sprigs, but maybe you can try and munch on one this time. Okay. Ooh, a little
1: challenge. Highly
3: recommend it. Okay. Uh, I love
1: a a little challenge. in Do I wrap it
3: around the chicken or just, you know? eat it all alone. Ooh. I think you
1: can wrap it around your tongue. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then pull. <laughs> See what happens.
3: Okay. I'll well. do that. Just for you guys.
1: <laughs> we have a very strange song to segue into our third chorus. It's called Do the Chicken. Oh, and it's do by Silver chicken. Vince. Okay. It is a very funny sounding song. So I'm excited. So have a listen now. to this and we'll be back munching on some Taiwanese crispy salty chicken. Yum. Just a moment
7: Cool. Here we are. Mm. Oh,
1: basil leaves and fried chicken. That smell of the pepper and the oh. salt. Oh no. <laughs> and the uh, five spices. Yeah. Mm.
3: Yeah. Basil.
7: I'm going straight in with the basil. Right. Basil.
1: Basil. Okay. Basil. Start off with basil, the basil
3: and basil. Okay.
7: Wow, Ellen, you've got a huge chunk of basil there.
5: Mmm. Mm.
3: Actually, it's good.
7: It's good, right? Mm. It's delicious. Why, why Why before were you so adverse to, to eating the basil?
3: No, it's kind of just, you know, feel like that. it was something that was just for the flavor. Right. But it wasn't meant to be eaten.
7: Like a garnish.
3: Right, garnish. And then it felt like it, it soaked up a lot of the grease. I mean, mm,
7: that's true. That it kind of it. It it did. See? That's why it's so good. That's right. accurate. Mm. Go ahead and try it, guys. Yeah. I'm already, like, digging in. It's good. Mmm. Yeah. Um mm. this is my go-to. Uh, if I'm like late night street food, this mm. is probably what I'll get. Like this and maybe some dumplings. Mm. Wow. Uh, actually, I prefer this to jipai the mm. chicken, the fried chicken steak. Oh. Definitely. It's more manageable. Yes. We ran into the uh, the head of the Korean service and
1: she's like, "What are you guys doing? You go into a beer hall?" Oh yeah. <laughs> she's like, "That's perfect beer hall foods because mm-hmm. it makes you want to order more because it's mm. so salty, right?" It's so it's salty. So good. Yeah. Mm.
7: I can imagine sitting having having a nice IPA mm. with a bowl of with a bowl of fried chicken is, is mm.
2: perfect. So,
3: yeah. did you let the Korean department, you know, colleagues have one and say, "Admit it, this is better than Korean uh, fried chicken." Oh. We should have.
1: <laughs> I was like, "Of course we didn't let them have any because we wanted it all mm. for our Ourselves. I think oh. after the kimchi episode, we've offended enough Korean listeners, okay. haven't <laughs> we? Mm. Mm. So I have a very controversial thought about this. Oh dear! I think this would be great if the uh, the basil was fresh. Like if, mm. if you had the fresh taste of the basil or maybe just lightly deep fried. Because the, the basil, the way it is, it tastes all like the 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 fin, the, the, the yeah, pepper and the spices. Yeah, it's all
3: the spices and all the grease.
1: I don't really taste much basil. It does hide the, the basil flavor. It
3: has a little small tint, you know, it's like an after kick.
1: I would, like, maybe even stir-fry the basil with some garlic Mm -hmm. and then Mm. just have the basil flavor come out with it.
3: Maybe you should do that, you know, for our next kitchen.
1: I'll get right on it, Ellen Chu. Yes,
3: okay. And then we'll be the judge and let you know if that is doable.
7: What's the sound of that rustling, Andrew? I think it's your deportation papers being prepared for (laughs) criticizing Taiwan's favorite snack.
1: Oh, maybe I'm just criticizing this shop, you know? Maybe some, like, do it differently. When you... Yeah, no, well, she doesn't eat it. When you've had it at different um,
7: places, mm. Reese, have you had the basil with a stronger basil taste? I usually, the ones that I have had are, are this kind where the basil is kind of fried and, and mm. it, it is, I agree, it is too oily and too much of that just overpowering salt flavor. The, yes. the powder, the, yeah. the, the five spices. But, mm-hmm. If you know one where they do use a fresher basil, then I'd be interested to try that one,
2: actually. Mm.
3: So maybe if they use a. Air fryer. it oh. dried and without grease. Ooh. Oh, More crispy.
1: This may be the first compelling reason I've heard to get an air fryer.
3: <laughs> I have an air fryer at huh? home.
1: Maybe we
7: have to get you to make it for us, too.
3: Well, you can come to my house and make it. Oh. Everyone
7: who I know who has an air fryer, they're very quick to admit it doesn't taste as good in an air fryer. But yeah. I think the health benefits are definitely yeah. worth it.
3: But, you know... A lot of the doctors came out and have you know different kind of views about you know air fryers being mm. healthy. Actually, it still keeps the grease inside, and then there's so much smoke that comes oh. out of the air fryer.
1: So you're like breathing it right into your lungs,
3: right? So Ooh. you know whenever I u- I don't use it that often because whenever I use it, I feel that you know the the air is filled with the smoke. Maybe
1: hmm. you should do that on the porch. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. barbecuing to I outside. Know, I,
3: I might get complaints from a neighbor. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Ellen, chew on the air fryer
7: again. <laughs> I know. Ding dong. <laughs> Ding dong.
1: Are I, you
3: smoking on your balcony?
7: <laughs> I do love this chicken. I think if if you're coming to Taiwan, this is one of the first street foods that I would recommend you try is okay. Yan Yeah. A salty crispy chicken. It's a good entryway drug.
1: Oh, it is. I yeah.
3: know what you do. You buy these, you know, from the store and then put it in the air fryer and refry.
1: Yeah, yeah. I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, mean, maybe, come on, come
3: on. Give me some credit. Okay? It'll give. It'll
1: make it crispy. All right. That's, that'll do that. Ray? But It's not going to make it healthy. It's,
3: it's better than the microwave or the oven.
7: Oh yeah. Ray? Okay.
1: Perhaps. Okay. Perhaps. All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We'll look and into
3: then, it. All right. <laughs> maybe it'll take out the grease a little bit.
7: <laughs> I have a question for Alan Andrew: pie
1: or Yan suji. Oh,
3: Yan Suji.
1: You like you like this for not the the big chicken cutlet. Yeah. I don't
3: like. You know, with the bone it's just a hassle. It is a know? hassle. Yeah. And you know, I like it because the inside meat it has the juice in there. It's mm-hmm. not as dry as a chicken breast, mm-hmm. but it has the texture of the chicken breast that mm-hmm. I like.
1: Yeah, I like okay. I like this one too. I feel like smaller doses are better,
3: and it's way better than you know, like you know, the chain chain stores selling like you know the nuggets they sell, like oh the yeah. really dried yeah, one.
7: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. G pie feels like a commitment. You know, if yeah. you pick up a G pie, you're sitting there for a good thirty minutes. But like you, that's a meal. It but, is yeah. a meal. That is a whole know, meal. But you know, it's
3: like with these, they're scary because they're like popcorn. Just keep on popping it. <laughs> True. You probably have like five G Pies. Yeah.
7: Yeah. This is a relatively small portion, so I think we're okay with this one. You I think sure? I think we'll survive, yeah. I think you're
3: just saying that to make yourself, to comfort yourself. <laughs> there, there are some okay. leftovers.
7: I'm taking them. <laughs> <laughs> They're for me. Yes. <laughs> oh,
1: I love it. Well, thank you so much for bringing this into the studio and sharing it with it's us. It's
3: very yummy, okay? This okay, like
1: suji, mm-hmm. Taiwanese crispy, salty, or salty, crispy chicken. Yeah. 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 There you go. Gonna take okay. the world by storm.
3: Mm-hmm. All right, so, write to us, P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan, and email us at androo at t w.
7: Address fail. <laughs> at least once a How year. many years have you been doing this, Ellen?
3: Oh, <laughs> um, Well, you know, James sitting there. He's been with us, you know, like <laughs> ten years ago.
7: <laughs> we
1: have a, we have a, a one of our former interns who has been watching and laughing through this show, James yeah. Ty. Hi, James.
3: Hello. We have a live <laughs> audience in the studio, ladies and gentlemen. Very
1: exciting. Also, his fiance Hannah. Hi, Hi. Hey, Hannah. Actually, we should okay. get them. Can you come up and come up and speak into Ellen? Say hello because we can't hear you from so far away. Hello. <laughs> yeah. All right. Very nice. We'll okay. we'll uh, we'll talk to you later.
3: <laughs> <laughs> all uh, right.
1: We're running short on time. That's why I'm doing that. Uh, so final song here today. This one I love it. Pollo Frito. This is actually Spanish for jipai. high. Fried or chicken. Fried chicken.
3: Frito. When you hear this
1: song, frito. you're gonna love it. We're all gonna be dancing in our seats. I can't all wait. All right. This is by Zhao or Coach. For Feast and West, I'm Andrew Ryan.
3: And this is Ellen Chu.
1: And I'm Reese Ayers. And we'll see you next week. Bye.
3: Bye. See you then. <laughs>
0: for listening to Radio Taiwan International broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw. Our 60-minute English program can be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In Southern China and South Asia, from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 6185 kHz. In South Asia, from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199 Taipei, Taiwan. You can also email us at rti at rti.org.tw.